very delighted in all of you who are truly committed. Yes! We set our clocks forward about 7 o'clock last night so we'd make sure we got in bed on time and got here on time. So, Well, let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for watching over us through the week and through uh, keeping us in your care for us. We thank you for food that we've eaten. We thank you for warm clothes and warm homes when it was snowing outside. We thank you, Lord, for birds singing and flowers popping up, and um, we're just grateful for all those things. We pray for all of our folks that are traveling right now on spring break. Think of the Harrises and the Martins and others, Lord. Keep them safe and preserve them and protect them. Lord, bless us in our class and help us that um, we would grow from it and learn and um, be able to communicate even communicate this well to others. All this, Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So yes, I'm the farmer who would only who would feed the cow the whole thing, the one single cow. You remember the joke about the farmer? Okay, forget it. All right, forget it. It was a parishioner that came to church one time, and he was the only one that made it to church. And the preacher preached the whole sermon like it was, you know, like everybody was there and stuff. And he was a farmer. The parishioner was a farmer, and he comes in afterwards. He talks to the preacher, says, "You know, I when I only have one cow, I just give him a little bit, you know, just for that one." <laughs> And he goes, you gave us the whole thing. And, uh, <laughs> so that's where that's from, sorry. All right, so for the class, why do you do that? So we're working our way, we've done, we've done worship, we're in church government right now, we're going to do complementarianism next week, Lord willing. Uh, who is John Calvin and catechisms and church membership? And by the way, anytime, if you have other questions that I need to address, then let me know, okay? Just send me an email or talk to me. Uh, better, better to write it down or send it an email so I don't forget, because sometimes I do. So we're still dealing with church government. Um, so as I've been pointing out, this is so that those who are visiting um, and can come uh, will actually see that we're trying to be very biblical, and if they walk away thinking that, uh, even if they don't agree, that's fine. I'm, as long as they understand we really, really are committed to Scripture and we're trying to do what Scripture says... And also for us, that we would, uh, we would see the value and, and, and be able to pass on what we've learned. Just keep remembering, the faith is meant to be passed on, not just kept just for me. So last week we started talking about church government. And I mentioned the three general types of church government uh, that you'll run across. There's the hierarchical, or the episcopal, or the, the papal, the... Uh, um, there's another name for it... Um, forgot it. But anyways, um, and you'll see that uh, in certain tradition streams, whether Roman Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican, uh, Episcopal, Methodist, Lutheran, uh, you'll see that uh, very often. And it's a very, it's a fairly top-down in the sense that the bishops and the archbishops make the, the bigger decisions and so forth. But even the Episcopal system has a little bit of a lay input. And then uh, congregation, which is what... Um, You'll run across probably the most you'll be familiar with because uh, Baptist, Congregationalist, independent churches, non-denominational churches are very congregational and it's the members actually have uh, the final power in, uh, in what they do. And then Presbyterian, which is um, ruled by elders, it's connectional uh, and so forth. Uh, you'll notice there are some denominations that aren't necessarily reformed that actually have a Presbyterian system like the Christian Missionary Alliance and so forth, because they had actually one of their founders was a Presbyterian. Um, so those are the three basic forms of church government you'll run across, and we're here, so I'm going to talk about ours. So to summarize, last week, you may remember this, go, go local, grow local, right? So in the local congregation, we have deacons leading us all to deacon. They spearhead service and generosity. We also have shepherds, elders, overseers who guide and care for the congregation, for their spiritual formation, their growth and grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the elders is a division of labor. There's teaching elders who focus on teaching, proclaiming the gospel, dispensing the gospel sacraments, etc. And then you have ruling elders who are concerned uh, with teaching as well, but also other aspects of caring and shepherding God's people. And in our in our particular denomination, it's, it's intentional that they have an equal voice, even though the teaching elders you hear from all the time because they're the ones preaching, right? 
but the teaching elders and building elders have an equal voice, okay? In the sense that I get, if you want to talk about it like a vote, I get one vote, my elders each get a vote each, okay? So that's pretty, pretty simple. So that was a summarization from last week. Anybody have any thoughts, questions from last week that you went, I wish I'd asked that? Anybody awake this morning? All right. So let's talk some more about church government. Let's going to go, we're going to go back to a passage that we read last week. And what we're going to do, we're going to go to Exodus 18. And I want us to think, as I read through it, I want us to think through the perceptions you notice in this passage about leadership. So about leadership in God's community. So Exodus 18. Moses and Israel are now out in the wilderness. Moses' father-in-law shows up. And um, so starting at verse 13, Exodus 18, verse 13. There's a Bible right here if anyone anyone needs a Bible. Okay. The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God, when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for, for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people will also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, and did all that he said, and so forth. So as you read that passage, what are some perceptions you pick up? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. Tens, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Did everybody hear that? Okay. What else? What else did you hear or did you see? Yes. He was. You should read that passage every time you sit down with your sons-in-laws and daughters-in-laws, right? No. That wouldn't go well. Yes? Uh-huh. Yeah, basically, that he had two names, Jethro and Ruel. That's what we know of him. He was a priest of God before Moses showed up. Yeah. Like very much like uh, Methus, uh, like like uh, uh, Melchizedek, yeah, very interesting. Yes, Cindy. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's this connection, and then there's this transmission from from one down, you know, to the others who will be able to dispense all this at different levels and so forth. Okay. So one of the things to notice too is that there's um, there's a sense of, of an appellate sense, right? So you got the, the leaders of tens, and then they go to the fifties, and then the hundreds and thousands, and then to Moses if it's just too difficult for them to deal with, right? So there's some connectedness, there's an appellate uh, flow of this, and it's interesting, the language, uh, um, they will bear the burden with you. So notice, multiple leadership, not a single leader, but multiple leadership, they will bear the burden with you, okay? So just keep that in mind, that's in the Old Testament, you already have this principle, so let's go to the New Testament. And we're going to go to Acts 15. 
And as we read it, as I read it, I want you to kind of, in your head, because I'm going to ask these questions, tease out aspects of the assembly of Acts 15 that happened to go with Exodus 18, but then those aspects that seem to go a little bit further. So I'm going to go to Acts 15. I got tickled going back through this passage. I've read this passage a zillion times, and I just got so tickled about something. I'll tell you what it is when we get there. So Acts 15, 1 through 7. But some men came down from Judea. So they're going down to Antioch. Jerusalem's higher geographically than Antioch. So they were going down from Judea and Jerusalem down to Antioch. And they were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were, uh, were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. I just love the geographical notes because they're accurate. Just one of those little bitty tidbits that show you that Luke knew what in the world he was talking about. And there's a real accuracy here. Okay, verse 3. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the brothers. And when they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after they had much debate, if you've been to a presbytery meeting, you realize we're very apostolic. There's often much debate over the funniest things. That's what just tickled me. Anyways, after much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the the word of the gospel and believe. And so uh, then drop down to verse 22 and 23. So through, uh, through, um, through, uh, yeah, 22 and 23. So the case has been made. And then uh, James gets up and quotes the Old Testament um, and says, yes, this is the case. And so then verse 22 and 23, the crowd joined... Um, let's get to the right passage here. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings, and then it goes on with the letter. So they deliberated, they made a decision, they wrote a correspondence, they sent it by these men, and it's now being read to all the churches in those regions. And then verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch, and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter, etc., so, do you see any aspects of Acts 15? We could have read the whole chapter, but do you see any aspects of Acts 15 in this assembly that go along with Exodus 18? Yeah, yeah. 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 And the humility also, I think that's a good point, the humility also is seen in the fact that the the apostles who are hand-picked spokespersons of Christ who could just say, this is what Jesus says, this is what we're supposed to do, the rest of you all shut up and sit down. But they didn't do that. What did they do? They got into the assembly with the elders and they deliberated, right? And it was this, um, this discussion that had this majority vote, if you want to call it that, but it was far more than a majority vote. It, it won the day, but it went across the spectrum and it was apostles and the elders. I think that's interesting, Okay. So the apostles allow themselves to be held accountable. There's some deep humility. Yeah, what else? What else do you notice that goes along with Exodus 18 maybe? We're already kind of bumping into it a little bit here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So the conflict is in Antioch. It gets appealed to Jerusalem, right? And then there's the gathering of the assembly of the elders and the apostles and they deal with the case and so forth, right? 
Okay, so there is this connection between, with Exodus 18. It's not a foreign thing that just came out of thin air. Uh, but then, what goes further in Acts 15 than Exodus from uh, beyond Exodus 18? At least as far as we know. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you have a written document. You basically have a decision. Uh, agreed to, and then it's this correspondence that goes back to the congregations and so forth. We don't see that in, it's implied possibly in Exodus 18, things like that, but it doesn't state it specifically. So you see it here, okay? And it's really, if you read the letter, it's not a top-down, heavy-handed thing. It's not a, we've spoken, so the rest of y'all just need to line up, right? It's actually an encouraging letter reminding the Gentile believers that they're okay, that, that they're okay. They don't need to do those things that some of these troublemakers were, caught, were, were demanding they do. So it's actually an affirmation of where they were. Okay? Far more we could say, but if you think about Acts 15, you have a big general assembly and you have even the apostles being held accountable, wanting to be held accountable to this large assembly. Okay? And there's an appellate aspect to it and so forth. Okay, more we can say, I guess, uh, let's move on. So you'll notice in all of these, you'll notice several layers of leadership in Exodus 18, but also here in Acts 15, several layers of leadership. As I said, the appellate opportunities. uh, Deliberation. Okay, they actually argue it out, which is not a bad thing. There's a one-for-one vote. I mean, none of the apostles said, we're the spokespeople of Jesus, you need to submit to us, and no argument. I mean, there's a one-for-one vote, as it were. There's a sense of representation. Paul and and, uh, the guys come up from Antioch to lay the case out for the church at Antioch. And uh, the decision is for the largest good. Notice that decision doesn't make everybody, probably doesn't make everybody happy. A specific group of people didn't make them happy, but it was the best for the larger body. This was the right thing for the larger body. And it's a very gospel-centered aspect too. But but I just think that's interesting that the decision is for the largest good, not necessarily what everybody's happy with. Anyway, does that make sense? More we could could go into that. Um, So we talk just briefly about representation because as Americans, we, have a, we, we claim to have a representative government, but sometimes we have a really weird concept of what that speci- specifically means, and then that weird concept gets imposed in the church, okay? So representative government, this is just out of, uh, off of yourdictionary.com. I just got these both offline very quickly. It's an electoral system where citizens vote to elect people to represent their interests and concerns. Those, so you'll notice that Antioch... Basically, the leadership there, at least the leadership there, selected or elected Paul and the rest of the gang to go and represent them. Those elected meet to debate and make laws on behalf of the whole community or society instead of the people voting directly on the laws and other debates. Um, This is from encyclopedia.com. But this was interesting. James Madison's argument presented in the Federalist Number 10 defended representative government precisely because of the buffer it created between the people and the laws that governed them, the grave threat to government was factions. You see that in Acts 15, right? The grave, the grave um, threat to government was factions, groups of citizens, whether a majority or a minority of the whole, animated and organized against the permanent and aggregate interests of the community. Direct democracies, in fact, James Madison called democracies um, a government of the mob. Right? right, So direct democracies ensured that these factions would dominate. But representative government, however, would remove such a threat. So when we think about representative government, it, it's not that everybody will be happy with what their representative does, but they're representing the larger body. So, you know, you think about our own political representatives, right? They don't wrote, vote for every, on the behalf, they don't vote the way every constituent would like. Right? But they do vote what they think is best for the constituents in their region. Right? And it does, in a sense, represent their area and what they're after. Okay? 
So the same thing with uh, our representative, a sense of representative government with us. <clears throat> Not every elder is always going to vote the way I might want or the way, um, the way uh, Tony may want, okay? But I know, I know our elders, I know they're going to vote what they think is specifically the best if we ever get into those situations. So this is, uh, as I pointed this out the other day, this is our our format as a Presbyterian government, and I mentioned these numbers here. We've got 1,580 churches, established churches with 380 mission churches. These are after the 2020 statistics. We have 5,100 teaching elders, and we've got at least as many ruling elders or more throughout the denomination. We actually have more, I'm almost almost certain, but we don't have any statistics on it. Uh, Like in our Presbyterian line, we've got like 96 ruling elders, and we've got 40 teaching elders. And that's pretty standard throughout the denomination. So the ruling elders leading the congregation, we dealt with that last week, but they're also part of Presbytery, which is where we're going to spend some time here in just a minute. And so it's the elders of all the churches in that region. A Presbytery is a regional, uh, I don't want to call it governing body per se, but it is a governing body to some extent. There's a lot of accountability uh, there. And so they uh, deliberate here, and then once a year, we have 88 presbyteries, and then once a year, we meet at General Assembly, uh, which is going to include all the representatives that come from the congregations and presbyteries in General Assembly. Okay. Any questions up to this point? Am I moving too fast? Yes? This slide? Yeah, in our denomination they don't, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah. Our, our denomination is really, I mean, really is built on a more grassroots. If you go to the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Presbyteries send representatives, not the churches. Okay? And that's... And that's an old tradition as well. So if you run across, when you go into other Presbyterian denominations, there might be little tweaks like that. But ours is set up because it's, a rea- it's partly a reaction to the strong-handed, uh, higher-up pushing down from our previous, uh, our parent denominations, the PCUS and the United Presbyterian Church and all that, because it was a fairly forceful, or at least it felt that way. Okay? For example, I'll give you an example. For example, in the Presbyterian Church U.S. and the United Presbyterian Church, the denomination owns, owns the building. The Episcopal Church, Methodist Church, the same thing. The denomination owns the building. And when, when many of our folks left, when churches left, tried to leave the denomination, they lost their building. Okay, so you may remember when John would talk about when he was growing up as a, John Butler, when he was a Presbyterian, growing up down in Paris, their church that they poured all this money into building this building and, and making it beautiful, they lost it because it was belonged to the denomination. So we intentionally, when we started, we said, no, every congregation will own its own building. So we will never have that problem again. So a lot of the things like that that we have, little tweaks like that, are a reaction to the way we were treated and the way that we experienced things in a previous, in a previous life. <laughs> That's a good point. Thank you. So let's talk about our presbytery. Uh, I think, I just pulled this off our website. So these are all of our churches in Oklahoma, in Arkansas, in Missouri, and then the ministries also we support. They're basic, they're, they're, uh, the university uh, campus ministries that we have at OU, OSU, Texas, uh, Texas, Tulsa University, and the University of Arkansas. So these are... Our churches, there's a, um, I think there may be one or two missing, um, but these are all the churches that we have listed on our website. So there's like 20, I think there's 20, something like that on there. Okay, So that gives you an idea geographically how large our presbytery is, from, actually from Springfield, Missouri, that northwest corridor of Arkansas, and then all, all of Oklahoma. And so the presbytery, when it meets, uh, it doesn't always have representatives from all the churches just because sometimes there's things that happen. Like Minko, when it's, farm, when it's harvest season, 
you may not see anybody from Mingo, Oklahoma, because they're busy harvesting. They're farmers, you know, so you may not see them, all right? So you don't always see every, somebody from every church, but we often see most everybody, uh, most of the elders, most, most of the voting elders from every church, okay? Any questions on this? So when a church... Uh, sends representatives to Presbytery. Our Book of Church order actually puts a cap, okay? So there's, um, every teaching elder is a member of Presbytery and they get a vote, and then each church can send up to two ruling elders to Presbytery meetings, okay? And then uh, uh, until the church is um, somewhere around 500, and then they can send three. And then for every like 250 or 350 members beyond 500, they can send another one, okay? So if we, if we were a mega church, a mega PCA church of 6,000 people, that'd be several elders we could send, right? But what happens is that because of our size, almost every church in our presbytery sends two ruling elders. So what we do is at a session meeting before presbytery is in our session meeting, we designate who's going to be the... the, the um, uh, the commissioners from our church to presbytery, to that presbytery, okay? All the elders can go, but only two get the vote. There you go. That's a lot of detail, sorry, if, that, if that's boring. But there you go, there's our Hills of Plains presbytery. Any questions on that at all? And so it's, a, it's a, like I said, there's a large amount of account- accountability involved in this, okay? Because... Uh, I just can't go off and do whatever I want to, right? I can't, I'm sorry, I just, I can't do it. I know you want me to, but I can't, right? The Presbytery actually has a say as to what happens. And so if, um, in the sense of, if, uh, if I was embezzling money from the church, the Presbytery can actually discipline me. And, and there, I can just tell you from the 20 years, 20-something years I've been in Presbyterian churches, that presbyteries have been very effective in doing that very thing. There's a whole process they go through that fits Matthew 18, uh, 15 through 22. No, uh, so like our presbytery, when it was started, we talked to the folks in Arkansas. There were some that just were adamant about not coming in, some that wanted to come in um, and so we kind of artificially drew the line and then Presbyter- uh, General Assembly comes in and then approves that yeah 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 because most of us came out of so this group here we came out of North Texas Presbytery and North Texas Presbytery was huge it was like one of the largest presbyteries in the in the denomination and so we started, we had uh, something like uh, 15 churches, which put us like right in the middle of the size of presbyteries. So we're trying to make it manageable so we could actually know each other and, and be better at holding each other accountable and so forth. And that's why, the, that's why the artificial boundaries were drawn the way they were so we could try to keep it within that realm. And at some point, uh, with all the church planning going on, at some point, I'm sure the Arkansas guys will at some point, some years down the road, petitioned to start their own presbytery. And then uh, with our church planning going on in Oklahoma, ours will be big enough that it'll be a typical presbytery, a very healthy presbytery in, the reference, in reference to people being in it and so forth. Anybody else? Any other questions? So when we... Well, it's because it's the only PCA church on that side of Missouri, and so it's uh, it's only two hours away, or two and a half, three hours away from we, where we normally have presbytery meetings in Tulsa, and so it was easier on him. And historically, Oklahoma used to have Mid America Presbytery, is what it was called generations ago, I think. <laughs> and so it included Joplin and Springfield. So we have a long, old history of including Joplin and Springfield. Okay, so these are the committees. I know you can't read these, but I just pulled this off the website. You can just go to hillsandplains.org, uh, I think it is, or H&PP or something like that. But we have an administrative committee, which is deals with the budget and deals with um, what the docket's going to be for presbytery and um, um, complaints when there's a complaint that's been brought up for the appellate aspect. 
sets that up, gets that prepared, so that way the moderator can, and the presbytery can do what it needs to do. And I'm the chairman of the administrative committee. Um, the candidates and credentials committee, funny that they put this on the website. They got my picture up there and they got heritage up there. That's funny. Anyways, the candidates and credentials committee uh, deals with two groups, of, uh, three or four groups of people. The young guy who's starting seminary and just thinking about ministry, they become candidates. Okay, we examine them, uh, but we don't examine them on theology. We just examine them on Christian experience, and they're called the ministry because we're going to be supervising them and working with them through the time of their their seminary training, and it's a it, it's a time of um, reflection and discernment. Okay, and I'll tell you one of the questions that I've always I've been on I have been on the candidates committee in this presbytery and North Texas Presbytery for almost twenty years. And the one question, there's several questions we ask, but the one question I always ask every candidate, and, and the other um, members of the committees are picking this up and you doing the same thing. I've been doing this for years. Is there any sin in your life that if it were known would bring shame to Christ? And that's really, really been an interesting question to ask. And sometimes very revealing things come out and we're able to help them to actually start getting the help maybe they need. If there was a, an addiction of some kind. We've been able to do those things. And so there's been some other aspects. But we've been asking that question. I've been asking that question for almost 20 years. I've been on the Candidates and Credentials Committee. The other group that we take care of on Candidates and Credentials are guys who are going to get licensed to preach. So maybe they're not done with seminary, but they know they're called and they want to be licensed to preach so they can start filling in pulpits and all that stuff. And so we do uh, three examinations with them, theological examinations, um, uh, church history. I don't remember. The BCO has got it worked out, and I don't think about it until I have to look at the BCO, the Book of Church Order. But we ask them, we have three sets of questions. It is, uh, these are long exams. They're closed book exams, and they're, they're, um, they're, um, they have a, 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 a supervisor in the exam, and there it'll take anywhere from three hours or more per exam. And then, once that's done, then they have a face-to-face -face interview with us, and we go through another, and that's usually an hour per subject. So there, it's a long, grilling process, and then they stand on the floor of presbytery and have another exam in front of all the elders who then get to pull out their shotguns and rifles and start bang, 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 right? And so... Um, it's a pretty grueling process, and by the time you get through it, or by the time you watch that process, you realize it's not a lightweight, um, it's not lightweight, it's just not fluffy, it's just, I mean, it is intense, and it's serious, because we're a serious denomination about what we believe and what we hold to, and what our guys are going to hold to, okay? And so, then also we do ordinations, or the exams for ordinations, uh, and then that last group is guys that are transferring in. So, uh, like City Prez right now doesn't have a pastor. So, if City Prez, when they call a pastor, we will have to examine them. That's a little bit different exam because they're already ordained in the PCA. But we'll examine them and then present them to Presbytery and so forth. We still have to see them. If they're coming from another denomination outside of Napark, Napark is a fellowship called uh, National, what, I don't even remember what the name means anymore. Something, 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 American Reformed, whatever it is. But it's our, it's our sister denominations, the OPC, uh, the RPCNA, uh, I think the URC, and a couple others. But if it's somebody like a Southern Baptist who all of a sudden becomes, sees the light that Presbyterians are right, yes, woohoo! They actually have to go through the whole exam process as if they had never been ordained. Okay? And so we deal with all of those. I just found out we have a guy in one of our churches, I won't tell you where, who was a Church of Christ minister. And I get to examine him. Yes! Okay. I told the chairman of the committee, I said, make sure you tell him I'm on this committee. And the people want to expect. So, uh, We also have a missions committee. In the Presbytery, this deals with both our uh, uh, local missions, you know, uh, 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 missions in, in North America, as well as our foreign missions, missions to, mission to the world. It also deals with our campus ministries, Reform University Fellowship, and they govern that. And um, 
And uh, church planting, too. They also uh, govern the church planting as it goes on. Then we have pastor, pastoral care committee. If there's a problem in a church between the pastor and the church, pastoral care committee comes in. If the pastor is in sin or if uh, there's a complaint against the pastor, pastoral care committee steps in. And it's, these are all manned by, uh, by elders, teaching elders and ruling elders. So it's not one or the other. They're all manned uh, fully with both. It's a, an equal number of both. Okay? And then the last one is a spiritual formations committee. They're uh, supposed to be focused on caring for the elders and the pastors in our presbytery and setting up retreats. And we have worship services at the beginning of every presbytery. They're the ones that lead, uh, that set those up and so forth. So those are our committees. We actually need two more committees. And I'm going to, Scott Levy, I'm going to twist his arm. Actually, I don't have to twist his arm. He's all on board. We're going to try to get two more committees. We've got to have a nominations committee and a, Sessional Records Committee. So at some point, this will expand to seven committees. Anyways, that's the committees you'll see in our presbyteries. This is where most of the work is done. This is where most of the work is taken care of and done, so that way when it gets presented to presbytery, it's the final product. Presbytery can say yes or no. So they don't have to sit there and, and wrangle through everything, every detail. Well, they can if they want to. Any questions about the committees? Am I? Is this Okay. Okay. No, I mean, each congregation has to take care of, you know, maybe an inner pastor like Heritage. Uh, after uh, Mark was gone, then Wes O'Neill came. The church actually hi- uh, brought Wes in, called Wes in as an interim pastor. Um, and there was some kind of agreement and arrangement, but Presbytery has to approve it. Okay. Um, but what happens is that, especially the pastoral care committee will report to the presbytery um, how the health of that congregation is going. Does that make sense? So there is oversight at the presbytery. They're watching just to make sure everybody's okay or seems to be okay. Yes? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so the... the the teaching elders' membership is actually in the presbytery, not in the congregation. And that's why the presbytery then is the primary court, if you want to call it that, for disciplining the ministers versus the congregation doing it. The congregation can file a complaint, the elders can file a complaint, whatever is the case. But the presbytery ends up doing that. And I'm going to tell you from experience, having been involved in probably 20 ministers being disciplined, in North Texas Presbyterian here, it is really, really good that it's done that way. Because you know, sometimes when people get disciplined, they become factional. They get their posse around them and it rip a church right apart, right? And so when it's, it's the fact that it's held at a presbytery, the presbytery is actually accountable, that actually keeps that from happening most times. I mean, I've just seen how that has worked out really, really well. Um, and all that... Uh, is, is important. Most times, uh, those guys are will receive the discipline. Some people haven't, and so they're actually no longer ministers in the PCA. Okay. Well, as a moderator, yeah, as the moderator, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Bear the burden. He'll. They'll bear the burden with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, right. And every so often we've had deacons do that. Yeah. 
Yep. 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 And this is, and that's a good point. And I should have brought this up last week. This is one reason why you will always see elders, the elders here, always helping out with communion, always distributing because, and also leading worship, because that's part of shepherding, is actually doing that. And so um, there's been a few times, for example, somebody's going through a crisis and they won't take communion, and the elders pay attention to that, talk to them. It's exactly the way. It, that's what it's meant to do. So yeah, and that was yeah, that was definitely by choice. Good, good questions. Anybody else on the committees? All right. Um, so again, as I pointed out, Acts 15, uh, after they had much debate, I still love that statement. Anyways, um, to help us in the process of the much debate, the Presbyterian Church in America and its presbyteries have adopted, so you'll understand this language, have adopted the Roberts Rules of Order so we argue systematically. Or whatever. We disagree systematically as best we can. Um, we also have adopted the Book of Church Order along with the Rules of Assembly Operation. Those basically are governing uh, how we deal with these things, process and, art, and work out these approaches as a church and so forth. And then we've also, each presbytery has a set of standing rules. And those standing rules are set up by the presbytery and basically it's how do we apply the BCO, the Book of Church Order, in our presbytery and so forth? They can't go against the Book of Church Order, but it's how do you apply it? Because the Book of Church Order really is a book of principles uh, far more than it's a book of process or, or laying out all the details. And so our presbytery has its own approach with the Book of Church Order and the standing rules. So like the number of committees, that's in our standing rules. It's not the BCO, the Book of Church Order doesn't mandate we have to have five committees or seven or twelve. Right, that's our choice. And so those are in the standing rules, not in the Book of Church order as Presbytery. Does that make sense? So if you ever hear us talking about the standing rules, we're talking about a local Presbytery guidelines. Okay, the Book of Church order, the rules of assembly operation, or what govern the denomination and churches in the denomination, Presbyteries, um, and so forth. And then Robert's Rules of Order. Any, any questions on any of that? Shouldn't be. Yes. Yeah. The idea is that they're supposed to make it applicable to that particular presbytery. Anybody else? All right. And so that's basically, uh, there's probably more I could tell you, but that's basically it for the presbyteries. And then... uh, once a year, we have our General Assembly. So let me just quickly go through the General Assembly. Uh, we have permanent committees. We have uh, agencies. We have special committees. And then we have a group called the Committee of Commissioners. The Co- Committee of Commissioners is actually uh, the accountability for all the permanent committees. So our permanent committee as a denomination is Administrative Committee, Committee of Discipleship and Ministries. You guys went to one of those conferences recently, CDM. Um, committee uh, North uh, MNA Mission to North America Mission to the World RUF Reform University Fellowship those are the permanent committees they last uh, you get on a permanent committee and you're on for two or three years I don't remember which but you're on uh, and it's always um, always the elders though deacons can be on the administrative committee if it has to do with finances or something like that but anyways but it's, it's teaching elders ruling elders are on those committees Agencies are Covenant College, Covenant Theological Seminary, PCA Foundation, PCA Retirement and Benefits, and Ridgehaven Conference Center. Those are uh, just agencies that we oversee and keep accountable to us because they're part of our denomination. Then we have special committees. Committee on Constitutional Business, Cooperative Ministries Committee, Interchurch Relations Committee, Nominating Committee, Committee on Review of Presbytery Records, and Theological Examining Committee. Those are special committees. Um, and I think that members are on for a, for a year. I think that's it, or on, on for the General Assembly. And then we have a commission. A commission is different than a committee. A commission actually has authority to act. Okay, A committee doesn't. So, for example, 
if, uh, if let's just say that City Press calls a guy and we all go over there and they're installing the new minister. You will notice there are representatives from Presbytery there. They are a commission. They have the authority of Presbytery to install him as the pastor of that church. So they're a commission. They're just, they're empowered. Basically, it's an empowered committee. Does that make sense? So the Standing Judicial Commission is, um, is basically our, that deals primarily with the, the, the uh, um, com, uh, complaints, trials, cases, uh, of discipline and so forth in our denomination. So the General Assembly will elect Standing Judicial Commission to which it shall commit all matters governed by the rules of discipline. The Standing Judicial Commission shall have the judicial powers and be governed by the judicial procedures of the General Assembly. The decision of the Standing Judicial Commission shall be final decision, etc. There's more, but that's all in the Book of Church Order, Chapter 15. So sometimes you hear us talk about the SJC, the Standing Judicial Commission. I just wanted you to be familiar with that language and who they are. Okay? So those are permanent committees, agencies, special committees, and our standing judicial committee. So we'll hear from all of them at this General Assembly in June. They'll tell us what's going on about this and that, and there'll be some things that we have to deal with, um, and so forth. Yes? So this, that's a good question. The Standing Judicial Commission, just like it says, the decision of the... Um, um, it's governed by the judicial procedures of the General Assembly. See, the decision of the Standing Judicial Commission shall be the final decision, but they have to report to the General Assembly. And so it, the cases can actually be reheard on the floor of General Assembly, but you have to have a, a groundswell of people that want to hear those cases. So there is a, an accountability there. And, and they rotate. You've got to remember there's no good old boy system. They can only be on three years and maybe a second three-year term, and that's it. And then they have to go off. So there's term limits. We started the trend of term limits, I want you to know. Yes, if you want to. If you have problems with insomnia, it's great. The real exciting day is usually Thursday where they try to pack in everything on Thursday until the wee hours of the night so that everybody can go home on Friday. Yeah, yeah, Janelle's been, Anna's been. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's more than just business going on uh, at General Assembly. Usually they'll have, conf- uh, not conferences, but um, breakout sessions before the General Assembly actually begins that are really enjoyable. I mean, you get to hear from, yeah, yeah, and the worship is great. It's rousing to hear, you know. 1,500 people singing A Mighty Fortress. Or actually more than that. It's, this last time it was probably almost 3,000 people counting spouses. Anybody else in General Assembly? And so when you hear us talking about this, so this is our connectionalism. So the congregations have a body of elders. Those elders uh, lead and guide here. We've got deacons as well that lead us in service. And then at Presbytery, we're part of Presbytery, which is a regional area of, of elders, both pastors and ruling elders, and there's accountability there and all those things, and then there's General Assembly, okay? And I just, I don't want to bore you too much, but, but there's the details. I, that help, I hope will help you as you think about and as you hear those terms about Presbytery or Standing Judicial Commission or whatever. Anybody have any questions at all? Yes. It moves every year. It's on wheels. It sits in our RV and it just kind of moves. But it moves every year. And so this year it's going to be in Bur- Birmingham, Alabama. Last year it was in, oh, I can't believe I've slept since. Huh? St. Louis. Um, one year, uh, 2019, it was down in Dallas. And it almost was always in June. Almost always. I can't, I can't remember a time when it was in July. That would have been a long time ago. Yeah, so the next year, next year, 2023, will be in Memphis. So we already know, in reference to the Assembly, we already know about a year in advance where the next one's going to be. There's a lot of work that's got to go in to set one up. Yep. 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 I always, I always recommend it. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. Yes. There's an there's a, there's a inside joke to that, so. Yes. 
Yes. Um, yes. Good question. So that's the. Um, where did it go? It's the. Uh, it's the. Um, yes, retirement benefits, and I think, yeah, the retirement benefits governs that or leads over that. So they're not only taking care of my retirement, but they're also doing the widow's fund. And, and they also have a, we actually have a retirement facility uh, village somewhere. So you remember Paul Settled, does that name sound familiar? When his wife was decaying or declining, they moved to that village and stuff. And so, but yes, there you go. Anybody else? I don't remember, where's, is it in Georgia? North Carolina? Oh, yeah, that's right, because it used to be the old um, uh, the belts from World Magazine. They used to run one up in Iowa, and then, then Ridgehaven just got it. Yeah, that's right. So now we have two Ridgehaven conference areas and camps. So they actually have a summer camp. So remember John Robert Biggs? So he would go and be a camp counselor uh, at Ridgehaven through the summer for six weeks or something like that. And so, yeah. But there's also a conference center there that works through the, through the year and stuff. Anybody else? All right. Make sure you get lots of extra coffee, but not too much that you have to leave in the middle of the service to go to the restroom or anything, okay? But get some extra coffee, and then we'll get ready for church. Let's pray. Lord God in heaven, we thank you that, um, we thank you that our church is part of a denomination that cares about that cares about the quality of the leaders, that cares about accountability, that cares about the health and the well-being of all of our congregations, and um, we're grateful for that. We, Lord, we pray that you would help us that, um, that uh, as a church, we would continue to show our support of our denomination, and our denomination would show its support of us, and that we would all grow together in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, Lord, prepare our hearts and our minds, our bodies, for worship this morning, uh, that we may come and worship you in spirit and in truth, filled with your spirit, and and rejoicing in the goodness of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.